Have you dreamed of bigger things for your life? Then you are in the right place. Each week, you will be given tips on how to change your inner dialogue, conquer your goals, and ways to step into a higher version of yourself. I'm your host, Lauren Kubat. I'm a motivational speaker who hosts personal development events. I'm a sought-after fitness instructor, a wife, and a mom of two young boys. I'm obsessed with all things personal development, and I believe anyone can achieve the life they want. Let the Become Your Vision podcast be the inspiration you need to step into greater things. Now let's go. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. So from the title, you can see that this show is riveting and I was blown away by my guest today, Christy Martin. I had found her as I was scrolling through Netflix, found her documentary, Untold Stories. So it's like a series. And her portion of the series is called Married to the Devil. And when I was watching the documentary, I'm like, I need to have this woman on my podcast. She is a fighter. She's a fighter in the ring and in life. And I just want to get to know her a little bit more. Sure enough, she agreed to the podcast. And right before I recorded, I watched the documentary again, learned so much from watching it again. And then I got so much insight from being able to speak with her today and it's just an honor and a privilege to just be able to do this. So I want to give you some background on Christy. Christy Martin is an American former professional boxer. She competed from 1989 to 2012. In 2010, Martin was stabbed and shot by her husband. He was subsequently found guilty of attempted second-degree murder and sentenced to 25 years in prison. Martin was elected to the Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame in 2016 and the International Boxing Hall of Fame in 2020, the first year that women were on the ballot, and she got in, which was super exciting. There are so many dark spots in this episode, but I want to remind you that there is so much light. This woman lived, and now she is sharing her story, and she's helping other women who suffer from domestic abuse. And you should already know just from the title that this show is not for kids. This episode's not for kids. You know, that's there's a trigger warning with she shares her story on the night that, you know, it all went down where her husband stabbed her and shot her and left her to die. And if that's too much for you, maybe fast forward that part. But by listening to the show, it could really make a difference. And I'll tell you why in a second. We also discuss how she came out as a lesbian, her drug addiction. There's just so much packed in this episode. So how can you help get Chrissy's message out? So there are a few ways. Option one is to share the hell out of this podcast. Share it to your Facebook, share it to Instagram, share it to your stories, post it, email it if you have an email list. There are people that follow you that you may not know their whole story. You may not know that they are suffering from domestic abuse or maybe they've gone through domestic abuse and it's just a great reminder hearing somebody else's story. Uh, you can review the podcast on Apple and Spotify. Now, you may be asking yourself, like, well, how does how does that help? Well, it helps rank the show so more people hear her story, and it's free. Those two options are free. Sharing and leaving a review, those are free. Now, the other two options um, I'll share with you is, one, 
all purchases made in October, uh, a percentage, 15%, will go to Christie's Champs, which is a program that empowers the victims and survivors of domestic abuse. So Moosley is a high-fiber cereal that I've created, and it's helped me tremendously with my digestion. It's helped me increase the diversity in my gut, and it's super delicious. I've talked about it on the show. Uh, My kids love it, and it's able to help so many people. So every purchase made in October will go to Christie's Champs. So all you have to do is go to mymoosley.com. It's M-Y, Moosley, M-O-O-S-E-L-Y.com and use code Christy for 15% off your order and then 15% will go to her foundation. Another option is you can go straight to her foundation. I will leave all of this information in the show notes. You know, I really appreciate you listening and it's great that you listen, but having you take the initiative to help someone else is really what makes the difference. So if you can do any of those four options, you will be helping somebody else. All right, you guys, let's get to it. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Today, I have Christy Martin here. Thank you so much for joining us and be willing to share your story. Thank you. Thanks for giving me the platform to do that. You know, I think it's very important that people uh, hear about domestic violence. Yeah. So I saw your Netflix documentary, Untold Stories, and I've watched it twice. I watched it a few weeks ago and I'm like, God, I need to have this woman on the show because you, you're a fighter but they're in the ring, but in life, you're a fighter as well. And then as I was preparing for this interview, there were so many things that I missed and I'm just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. So um, I'm just excited to chat with you and for people to hear your story and, you know, you can be an inspiration to so many people. I know you already are. Let's start with your, you're in the boxing hall of fame. Can you share your journey to boxing? Oh my. So (laughs) my, my, uh, I honestly tripped and fell into boxing, you know, lots of, most of these, especially the guys, you know, they grow up from the age of birth, (laughs) you know, somebody in their family's boxed before and they just, they've been in the boxing gym their whole life forever. So my, my story is totally the opposite. I, um, I had gone to these tough man contests in my little town in, in uh, Southern West Virginia. And it was just like so many, everybody turned out for it. You know, the place would be packed and everybody got into it. And I thought I wanted to do that. Why I thought I wanted to do it. I have no idea. Um, but they didn't allow women to, to compete mm-hmm. at this time. So I would tell the promoter, you know, you got to add women. You got to add women. Finally, you know, a uh, freshman in college, I walk into the shoe store that I, I frequented a lot. And um, and there's a poster. We're having women, a women's division. So, I'm, you know, I'm signing up. I'm 18 years old. So I can I don't have to have my parents permission. I can do it. I'm legal. Everything is good. And that's really how how I started with boxing was through a tough man contest and just, I competed, um, had to fight three people in two nights and wow. it was crazy. You know, it was crazy. And I was fortunate enough to win. And then just like, wow, the adrenaline rush that you get from being in the boxing ring was, was different. I played lots of other sports, 
but this was different. And maybe it's because it's an individual sport. I don't know, mm-hmm. but it was, it was just crazy exciting. And you were a natural, right? Like you knock these people out and you're like, you know, like in one punch, right? I don't, I don't know if natural is fair, but I was, I'm an athlete. Yeah. And so, and I'm an athlete with that. Um, I want to be the best and I'll show you attitude. <laughs> so it all came together to, to form a pretty good, um, pretty good boxer. You know, yeah. Somebody that I was willing to, um, very dedicated, very dedicated to training and, willing to sacrifice and, and just sacrifice personal life, sacrifice myself, sacrifice whatever it took to make it. Yeah. Now you've said that you felt safe in the boxing ring. Why is that? It kind of sounds kind of crazy, um, but I was safe because in the boxing ring, there are rules, right? There are rules. Um, in life, there, there, there really aren't. Yeah. I mean, we, we want to think there are rules, but it doesn't mean that everybody follows those rules. Oh, totally. Um, so, but in the boxing ring, you know what people can do. I mean, they, they can only come at you one way and, and with, with, you know, your, your skills are your skills. You're basically evenly matched and um, it's a fair fight mm. in the world. It's not always a fair fight. Oh yeah. And we're going to get, we're going to get into that. Um, so at one point you decided you like, you needed a coach and that's when you met who would become your husband, Jim Martin. Right. Right. Okay. So, and that's like, first of all, um, from the documentary, he like, he didn't want to train you. And he's like, you know, I don't want to train a female, all this stuff. He wanted to have like one of his, uh, male, uh, boxers, like break your ribs so that you couldn't do it or whatever. And then he saw you and he was like, oh, wow, she has a good chin, but then not, not everybody has a good chin. Um, so what was that relationship like when you first started training with him? The first day I walked into the boxing gym in, in Bristol, Tennessee, I mean, he didn't hide the fact that he did not want to train a female boxer. Uh, the the His boss and the promoter at the time had told me that, oh, I had this guy that's so excited about the opportunity to train you. He blah, blah, blah. He's all excited. He wants to teach you how to fight. And, and you know, we're going to promote you and, and it's going to be great. So I went with the really, I walked in nervous, but still hoping that that something positive could come out of this. Um, but the second that I encountered Jim Martin, I knew that, oh, no, I'm in a place that I'm not wanted. Uh, all this was really smoke because he doesn't he doesn't want to train me. Mm-hmm. And then I found out later that he did try to set up one of the boxers to break my ribs and and get me out of there. But, um, you know, he called that off. I don't know whether it's because my mother was there or his boss was there or what, but he did call that off. Um, but Jim Martin was that guy that was a male chauvinist. And if you didn't put pig behind it, he was offended. Mm. It was, you know, he, he was proud that he was a male chauvinist. Yeah. And that, that alone is, um, that alone should have been assigned to me 
But at the same time, I was 21, 22 years old, um, really looking to get out of my little town in West Virginia to just see what else was out there. And and so I, I probably didn't um, really notice the signs that I should have that because being, um, you know, being from such a small town yeah. and then and young. And then and young and and not having the life experiences that I needed at the time. How old was he? What was the age difference? Um, he's 25 years older. Jeez. So yeah, if I was around, I think I was 22 or maybe 21, 21 or 22 when I met him. And so he would have been 47-ish. Okay. And then you guys started developing a romantic relationship that was that more on him or more on you or both. And um you said in your, your Netflix documentary too, that like you felt like you can be honest with him. So can you kind of talk about that? Yeah. So, um, you know, he's 25 years older, he's my coach and, and, and that coach athlete relationship, you know, that's somebody as an athlete, you want to trust your coach, you want to be open. And, and he was so much older. So I, I just, I was very open and honest with him about, set my sexuality, um, it just, my life, uh, relationship I have with my family, everything. And I thought, you know, as I'm talking to him that, that I was sharing my situation with somebody that I could trust, right. not knowing that all of those things that I share with him would come back to, um, to haunt me or, you know, basically almost get me killed. Yeah. Throw it in your face. Like he was right. ke- kind of keeping tabs on you, like, you know, for ammo. Right. Absolutely. It was always about what he, how he could use um, my words or actions against me. Yeah. So in high school, going back to, you mentioned your sexuality in high school, you started a form relationship with another girl on your um, basketball team. Um, but you, you hid, hid your attraction to other females. Why did you feel like you needed to hide that? And do you think your parents picked up on it at all? Um, well, we have to remember this was back in the um, early 80s, small town, southern West Virginia. So being gay wasn't, um, wasn't too accepted. Um, and, and, um, it would have been very, very hard, even though at the time you're young and you're like, I don't care, you know? Right. Um, but I, I guess I did care and, and for sure she did. Um, so it was, it was hidden, but it was like, it was one of those things that I'm pretty sure almost everybody in our little town, maybe they didn't know, but they suspected right uh, that, that we were, something was going on with us. Yeah. Um, so it was hard. And do I think my family suspected they should have? Do I think they maybe put their head in the sand? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. They weren't open to it. They had probably Southern values and um, yeah. And as long as you don't acknowledge it, it doesn't exist. Right. Right. Oh gosh. Okay. So why did you decide to marry Jim? Um. You know, it really comes down to, I was actually out with another female and um, he walked into the place we were, it was, it was like a little small hometown bar in Florida. Cause I'm like, we're living in, I was living with Jim in Florida at the time. 
And um, he came in and he told me that he had called my dad and told him that I was with this with this woman. And um, my dad said, just throw all of her stuff in the ocean. We don't want her. If that's the choice that she's going to make. Did I pick up the phone and call my dad and ask him, did that conversation really happen? No, I just assumed or took it that it probably did happen. And so Jim asked me to marry him at that time. And I did the next did, morning. Did that actual conversation happen? Um, I've since asked my dad if it happened. Uh, he says he doesn't remember that it happened. Um, so I don't really know. Okay. So there is a possibility that it did. There is. I mean, there are so many conversations, so many things that Jim would tell me that my mother said, and I, I would never call her. I would never mm -hmm. call her on it. Like, did you really say this? And then there was one time, one time that he told me that, that my mother said, um, basically if I wasn't going to do something her way, then I just shouldn't come home for Christmas. I couldn't believe that my mother said that. Mm -hmm. So this one time I called her back and asked her and she said, yes, she said that. So that puts many things that he told me that I really didn't believe. Like, I don't really know because right. she doesn't tell me she, you know, she won't really tell me the truth. And, and he definitely didn't tell the truth. So right. I'm I'm like, I'm out there in limbo. I don't, I don't know what the truth is. And that's yeah. a, a messed up place to be. And when you married Jim, you felt like you married boxing. Is that correct? Absolutely. I, I married boxing. Um, and that's where all my focus, all my love, all my attention, everything went boxing to my career. Let's mm -hmm. let me make it. Um, it was never, um, it was never, like it was never a romantic relationship. There was never like, oh wow, we did this. It was really cool. I mean, we we did cool things because of boxing. Okay. Um, but but yeah, that's like the only thing you guys had in common. Yes. Yeah. I mean, boxing yeah. was my life. Yeah. That's, that's all I did. Twenty four seven, three sixty five. You know, it was everything I did was around boxing. So when you are married to him, did the abuse start pretty quickly or maybe did it start before you guys got married? Before we got married, this is how crazy and, and just not thinking clearly that I was, um, before we got married, he told me he would kill me if ever I left him. Now at this point, this is when you get the hell out. <laughs> right. Right. But I didn't, you know, I, I stayed. And the, some of it was too, I'm 22 years old. I, mm -hmm. I'm not thinking really he's going to kill me, but he did tell me this starting before we married, got married. And then all the way to the end, if ever you leave me, I'll kill you. I didn't believe him for the first 10 years. And then somewhere, and, and I still sit and try to think like, where was that turning point? Where did you know this is how it's going to end? And I, I'm not sure where that point happened. But what I know is November 23rd, 2010, I knew he was going to try to kill me. Mm. I really thought he would kill me. I didn't, I mean, try is not even in it. I just thought he would kill me. So let's talk about the lead up to that. So you had been communicating with 
the girl that you met or, you know, had a relationship with in, in high school, you guys lost touch throughout the years. You guys found each other on uh, Facebook and you guys start to form a relationship. You go to visit her, tell her, tell Jim, Hey, I'm leaving. You straight up said like, Hey, I'm going. Um, and then, then he follows you and finds you. Um, can you talk about that? Oh, so I had started to talk with it with Sherry on um, like through Facebook. And it was funny thing was like at first it was through Facebook. And then then I realized Jim's like monitoring everything through the computer. He's got videos. He's got audios, cameras and stuff in the in the um, in the house. So he's constantly so, watching you always. So then I got so from Facebook, I'm like, just text me. I mean, what does it matter? He already he's already knows everything that we're saying. So, and then it went from just text me to just call me because it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. He already knows yeah. everything. Um, and so then finally, you know, it came the day she was in Florida and um, I'm like, yeah, I'll come see you. Uh, but in my mind, I was going to see her. I wasn't leaving Jim Martin for her or anyone else. I was leaving Jim Martin. I went to see her because I wanted to tell someone the truth. I wanted to tell somebody how crazy my life had been. And I wanted to, I thought she could understand it because she knew me. She knew right. me. Um, and that's, that's where, that's what it was. You know, I really went to, uh, I went to see her that first night in St. Augustine. Um, actually thinking I, I would probably come back at that day. And um, I, you know, I didn't, I stayed with her that night and then was back home for a day. Then I went to commentate an amateur boxing show in Tampa, uh, went back to see her. So it, it was off and on. He knew where I was going. But the mm-hmm. day that I left, the original day that I left, um, I told him where I was going. And as I walked out the door, he said, if you leave, I will kill you. And I t- turned around right at, on my doorstep and said, looked him right in the eyes and said, do what you have to do, Jim. And And as I walked to the car, I'm like, you know, he's going to kill me. So you had, you had an idea like, Hey, I, I, I knew, I knew. And you were like, I'm just going to do it anyway. I'm dead already. I mean, the yeah, truth is, right. I'm, 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 you know, I've been on cocaine for three, three solid years. like get every day, Coke, Coke, Coke. And, um, I had no life. I was dead. I didn't go out of the house. Um, I, I didn't want anyone to see me high. You know, I wouldn't even go to my mailbox in the daylight uh, at the end of my driveway. So I just, I was like in hiding in mm-hmm. some ways. And then, and finally, I just was, you know what, you, this isn't you. Either, you know, you're going to live or you're going to die. Right. Got to see what's going to happen. Yeah. So the Coke, um, he kind of, he brought it in, got you, would you say addicted to it? Oh, I was definitely addicted. Um, he never leaned over that, that line of Coke and snorted it. So I put the addiction on me. He made it accessible. He was my supplier. He made sure that I was never out of cocaine. Um, he knew, I mean, I was one of those people all through my boxing career that was, I'll never do drugs. You know, I, I just so much against it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna leave this sport addicted to drugs and broke, not going right. to be like so many other fighters before me and I ended up both and and you know it's hard it's hard to think wow all those years I was so strong 
And then he broke me. He broke mm. me physically, mentally, emotionally. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I fell into addiction. So is that where you felt like you started losing your drive as an athlete? Is that when you were like, you weren't on your A game anymore? Oh, I for sure wasn't on my A game anymore. And it was kind of like the cocaine started because my career was really over. And he knew that without boxing, really, he didn't have control of me. Boxing is how he kept a tight grip. You know, he, he would often tell me, um, if you don't do this, then I'm going to tell everybody you're gay and the boxing world will hate you. They don't even like you anyway, Christy. So they're really going to hate you. Even the ones that you thought like you, you know, your family, your friends, everybody's going to turn against you. I'm the only person you have. Well, he convinced me for a long time that, that he probably was the only person that was going to stick with me. Mm -hmm. And, and that's what abusers, but that's what, you know, so many abusers do. Yeah. So you're talking about all of this. And I think it's important to, to mention when you were saying like your boxing career was over, there was a point when you fought um, Layla Ali, which is Muhammad Ali's daughter. And you were getting the shit knocked out of you. And at one point you had to take a knee and that was, so embarrassing to you. And you said that, you know, Jim could have called the fight, but he didn't. Can you tell the listeners like what was going through your head? First of all, you were also a shit talker. So there was a lot of <laughs> words exchanged between Layla and yourself and beforehand. And you're like, you're going down. She's like, no, you're going down. And then you guys kind of got into it beforehand or whatever. And then you're in the ring and she's just like plummeting you. Were you on Coke that day? No. Okay. You weren't. No, no. Okay. That, so that was all, that was all way before Coke. And Oh, it was. Yeah, Layla, Layla's a big ass woman. I mean, she was like, uh, let's see, I'm five, I'm five four on my good days. <laughs> Probably like six foot, six. Yeah, I think she's six foot or six one. And then I that day I weighed 147, but I put stuff in my pockets, so I weighed 160 oh um, when I went to the weigh-in. So, you know, by the time that we actually got in the ring, she probably outweighed me by 30 or 40 pounds. Um, no excuse. I mean, I really thought I was confident. I thought I'm going to hit her on the chin. Like she's never been hit. And, um, you know, I'm going to win the fight, but she hit me first. She hit me high on the, my head. And it was like, I told her recently, I was like, Layla, you had me knocked out in the first round. And yeah. she's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I was out. And she said, I got to go back and watch it. I'm like, no, no, that first right hand, hand you hit me with high on my head. I was done. And she's like, shit you know i didn't know jump on me i thought you were just you would jab use your distance use your size um but anyway it was it was it was a big fight for women's boxing i felt like it needed to be made it was uh you know jim martin was all about going to the bank and um and and that's what he did afterwards you know he made a nice check and um then he ran through the money just like you know always um but no, I wasn't on Coke then. I had, you know, it was a, it was like a great, great exposure for women's boxing. Too bad it wasn't a better fight, but it did like get people to look at women's boxing for a minute. Um, yeah. Yeah. What I said, like the whole thing about coaches and, and, um, 
and coaches have to protect fighters from themselves. And, and Jim knew that the last thing I wanted to do was, was to quit. And I did quit. And it, it, it like, it hurts me today to talk about, I quit. Um, but all he had to do was like, all he had to do fight. was step up on the ring and say, it's done. When, when I took a knee or when I was getting hammered, uh, Miguel Diaz, who was also in my corner as my cut man, uh, he told me afterwards, he's like, Chrissy, I wanted to stop the fight or, way before that. And, mm-hmm. um, and Jim wouldn't let me. So, um, I, you know, why, why do you why, think that was? Well, I think Jim want in Jim, Jim's looking through Jim's eyes and knowing how he is. He wanted to see me get beat down like that. Okay. Like yeah. He wanted to, um, he like, this is my, his punishment to me. Yeah. But Break you down like, even more. I was taking this punishment, but he was getting the check, you know? I mean, yeah. He's a disturbed man. Um, I, I could say so much about him and I'm sure you can too. Um, so, okay. So you are with Sherry going back to the day that, you know, he found you, you know, he said, you know, I'm, I'm going to kill you. And then he basically found you and you, you didn't believe that he did find you or knew where you were at. You were t- thought he was just like bluffing. Can you talk about that? Yeah, he um he actually um called my phone and said I'm close enough I can touch you. Yeah. And and I was like, I you know, of course I'm looking around. I, I can't see him, but then he told me what Sherry had on. And um, so you know, at this point I know that either he or he has someone that can see us. So um, you know, it was scary. It was scary, but it wasn't unusual because so many times in my, in my life and marriage to him, I would be in Walmart. I would be getting my nails done. I would be getting my hair cut. I would be anywhere and turn around and like, here he is. Um, so creepy. Yeah. It's like always. And it was like, I just want to let you know that I, I, I know where you are. I just want to let you know that basically I'm always have tabs on you. I'm following you. You can't do anything that I don't know. Right keep you locked in place. So then, so the day of, he's like, Hey, I, I see you. And you're like, no, you don't. And then he described what you guys were wearing or whatever. And then what happened next? Yeah. Then he just, um, it is actually just went away, you know, but it left us with the, uh, Oh my gosh, you know, cause here I know he's going to kill me and I've told her he's going to kill me. Um, so we're like, well, do we go out? You know, what do we go out of the hotel room? What do we do? You know, right. Like, we just, you know, barricade ourselves in this room or what? And and we're both a little bit like, you know what? No, we got to go face it. Whatever is going to happen is going to happen. So so we went out um, and and had dinner actually. And then you know, it was a couple of days after that that um, you know we we wake up. I have breakfast. And I'm like, Sherry, my head is killing me. My head is just banging so badly. And uh, she said, well, this is, she was riding a motorcycle. And mm-hmm. she said, let's just go for a short little ride. Then you can drive back home. You know, it'll help. Maybe it'll help clear your head. You'll- yeah. But we did. You know, we, we, like she's saying, you know, just get relaxed. And uh, of course, it didn't really work. But I, during that breakfast, I, um, she told me to memorize her phone number. Mm-hmm. And, and I did. And then, but I also gave her my really good friend's number because that's in the boxing world. And I said, look, he's going to kill me. 
the boxing world will know first because it'll, you know, you know how people are about gossip. They'll right. it'll go through quickly. So call call my friend Donna and she'll tell you that that I'm dead. If you can't get a hold of me. And so that's how we pretty much left it. You know, I, I went back home. Of course, she thought that going back wasn't a good idea, but were you guys emotional? Cause you're like, okay, I'm done. She thinks you're gonna be done. Was that like really hard to leave? And what made you go back? Well, two two things. One thing from her, she says that. I mean, even though I was telling her he's going to kill me, she didn't 100% believe he was going to kill me. Okay. You know, maybe we were going to have an argument. We were maybe, I mean, a fight, whatever. Okay. But to really kill me, like she didn't get to there. Gotcha. But um, you knew. But I, I, I 100%. Yeah. Right. And so, um, you know, I go home and here he is. And Why'd you go home? Because I, of that headache? I went home because I wasn't going to look over my shoulder for the rest of my life. Okay. And, and this is, this is a tough, it's tough for me to talk about because I don't want anyone else in a domestic violence situation to do the same thing I did. Right. This is what I had to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's hard to explain. This is what I did, but don't do this. Right. Because you might not be, most people are not as lucky as me, as, as I was. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of people that are abused, they don't know why, like once they get out of it, they're like, oh, I don't know why I did that. Or, you know, it made sense to me or you're scared or whatever, because you're so damaged mentally and what they play this game with you that you're, you know, you feel like you don't have any other option. Women leave. I'm pretty sure the statistics say that women leave the average of seven times before they actually leave. Also, the most dangerous time is within the two week time of a woman leaving. So, you know, he, here we go. It's all about leaving is scary. Leaving is dangerous. And, and when and how do you decide to do it? Right. But that's what we have to, we have to let people out there know that there are people that, that can help you, that will help you, whether it's a local domestic violence shelter or, you know, maybe it's a really good friend. It's it's hard. It's hard because you really should reach out to professionals. The friend thing, I didn't go to a friend's house that I could have um, because I didn't want to endanger her. Right. Okay. So you are, you go home and what happens next? So I go home that day and um, he's actually there. He shouldn't have been. He was should have been over at the boxing gym. Um was time to open, the, you know, we had a gym in our little town of Apopka, Florida. And um, he's like, no, I have somebody that's going to open it for me today. Um, and I'm like, Jim, I'm going to go work out, but my head is killing me. I'm going to have to lay down for a little bit. So there was no argument, no nothing. Um, I go and lay down the entire time I'm laying there. He's like right outside the bedroom door on the phone telling people that I've left him for a woman. I'm a lesbian. I'm a piece of shit. I'm this, I'm that. And he's sharpening a knife, but he sharp, he sharpened knives all the time. So it wasn't, I never thought he was going to stab me. I just thought he would shoot me and I would be dead. Boom. Gone. Mm -hmm. um, so I never even, it never registered with me mm -hmm. about the knife. So after a while, I, uh, I can't, my head won't stop hurting. He's not going to stop being loud out there. So I decide I'm going to go for a run. 
And I'm like, I'm just going to run until my head explodes or stops hurting one or the other. Yeah. Um, so I'm sitting on the corner of this, the uh, edge of my bed. I called Sherry and I told her, I'm, like, I'm getting ready to go run. I'll be back in like 30, 40 minutes. Um, I'll call you when I get back. Well, while I'm talking to her, he walks in and he told me he had something for me. In my mind, I'm thinking, oh, he must have a fight contract. Um you know, I'm kind of excited. Okay, cool. We have a fight, you know, want to get back in the gym. I want to get my life back together. Mm -hmm. um, so he keeps putting his hand behind his back like three or four times. And then finally, I'm sitting on the bed still. And I, I look around and I say to him, uh, I see the knife down in his, in his shorts. Like, what are you going to do? Kill me? And it was like, bam, immediately he started to stab me. And um, like the first three stabs, he stabbed on my side. <laughs> and, and I really thought he just hit me, even though I had seen the knife, my brain didn't put it all together that he just had stabbed me. Right. And then the fourth stab went through my breast and like blood went everywhere. So I'm like, you stabbed me. And then I tried to kick him away from me. And when I tried to kick him away, he cut my calf muscle almost completely from my leg. So, you know, at this point, I'm still trying to get away from him. And um, he gets me down in the bedroom floor and starts pistol whip me beating my head against the dresser. Um, but are you trying to fight back? I, I'm trying to get away. Okay. So it really wasn't like I was fighting back. I was right away. Right. Out. And um, is he saying anything to you while he's doing this? No, it's like, I mean, he might've been, but it's like my you brain can't it. remember. If right. He did. Um, and then like, he, he's beating me, cut my ear from my ear was like, they had to sew it back to my head, um, had stitches all in my head, all this crazy stuff. But while he's beating my head in the dresser, I'm like, I, I didn't care if I lived or died. Right. Like 10 minutes before, 15 minutes before. But the switch flipped and I was like, you know, you cannot kill me. OK. And um, and it was like it just changed at that point. And that's when what's I changed. Also, you were just like, what do you mean? What changed? I, I just, I just, I was going to fight. I wasn't just okay. going to die. Right. And um, so at this, you know, at this time I, I um, still trying to get away. I feel a gun in his pocket and then I'm like, I'm trying, I'm trying to, you know, struggle with him to get the gun out of his pocket um, to get the gun away from him. And I wasn't strong enough to do that. But I always say being a West Virginia girl, I understood about, you know, you kick the clip out, you know, so I pushed the button, I ejected the clip. So I know he has only one shot because we always kept one bullet in the chamber. And um, I'm like, well, you know, he has one shot at me, but I've got these other six right here under me. Mm -hmm. So he stopped and went to, uh, he had cut his own hand when he stabbed me, the, the knife slid up his hand as it does many times when people get stabbed. Um, so he actually stopped, he stopped beating me, stopped everything and went to take care of his own hand. And um, I'm just laying in my bedroom floor. I can hear my lung gurgling. Like he's punctured my lung. Um, I'm like, you know, I'm going to die. And I kept trying to get up. And when I would get up, like blood would go out, squirt out all these holes and, and that would scare me. So I would lay back down and he would walk in and out, walk in and out of the room. And, and at first I was like, give me help, you know, get the neighbor, call the neighbors, call Scotty, call, help me. Don't let me die. And then, um, 
at one time he walked in with this tells my age, but he walked in with a phone that was actually one of those phones that you used to attach to the wall, you know, yeah. <laughs> so the cords hanging down, you know, obviously it's not even attached to the, the, the base of the phone. And he's like punching on the numbers. I can't get this phone to work. I can't get this phone to work. And I'm like, what, you know, I think, I think that was the point where I realized that he had to kill me now. Um, and I just went, I just went left. You know, I, I've always hated you. You're, you're a son of a bitch, you know, I, all this, all this stuff. I just, I just initially you were pleading with him, like, don't kill me. I love you. Right. Um, you know, all of this. And then eventually you're like, okay, well now I can really let loose. Cause Absolutely. you're like, I'm going to die anyway. So exactly. you're, you, so you went off and Absolutely. The, did that piss him off? Well, I guess it made him mad enough that, you know, he he decided, well, he actually walked back in, walked back out a couple more times. And then finally he walked in, he picked up the gun, um, pink nine millimeter, which was my gun, picked it up, stood at my feet and uh, he's holding it on me. And I'm like, you don't have the balls to shoot me. And he shot me. Mm. And um, where did he, he shoot heart. you? He missed my heart by three inches. Um, so it was close. He actually shot me through the same hole that he had stabbed me through. Um, so I, I'm guessing that he used that like as a target, maybe Yeah. you could see the blood coming out from there. Um, anyway, at that point, I, uh, I, I think I kind of, I passed out maybe. Um, but either before passing out or I woke up, I remember looking through the register, you know, the air conditioning register in my ceiling. Yeah. And it was like my eyes to God's eyes. Show me some way to get out. Mm. And um, I heard the shower water turn on. And when I heard the, sh- I mean, it was like immediate. And when I heard the shower water turn on, I was like, this is God's sign to me. Get up and get out. And now all these other times I had tried to get up, but I couldn't. You okay. know, I got scared. This time I got up. I got up and I, I got out. And um, like you I stood up or did you crawl out? I, I stood up and walked out. I don't know. The doctors are like, they don't even know how I walked out because the adrenaline half was, was gone from my leg. And, um, so he went to go take a shower while you like, he thought you were dead. He's like, oh, he I'm just going to shower. Okay. He thought <laughs> I was dead. So he went to clean the blood off of him and everything. And, um, I guess get ready for whatever story he had created in his head of right. what he was going to tell or what he was going to do. I, I, I don't know. Um, but so I get up, I, I walk out, I, I walk out the front door. I lift, I left the door open. I didn't want him to hear me close it, but I get to my car. And when I got up, I had picked up car keys and I picked up the gun he shot me with. And so I get to my car, or I get to the car and it's the wrong car, the keys. And the, you know, so I'm like, Oh shit, what am I going to do? So I have a choice, go back in the house. And I was like, that's never going to happen. Right. Or go to the middle of the road. And, and basically, as I say, carjack somebody. And that's what happened. You know, I went to the middle of the road and the first car went by me. Second cars, uh, my my angel, Rick Cole. The first car didn't stop. So he, he didn't stop. But he actually to his to his uh, benefit, he he went down to the next road, the next turn and turned around and came back because he told me. He messaged me on Facebook. He's like, I, I recognized you after I passed you. I knew something was wrong. Okay. So I was actually on my way back to get you. I, I don't remember what his name was, but I, I do remember his um, his message. Okay. Uh, so Rick Cole picks me, picks me up. I um, 
I hand him the gun and and I get his back seat and I said, please don't let me die. You know, and he calls 911. He's he's telling him I've been shot and stabbed and that um, you know, it was Jim Martin that had done it. Um gets me to the hospital. Of course, the police are there, the stretcher, everything's waiting for me. And um yeah, I go go into the Popka emergency room for a couple of hours for them to get me stable. And then they they had to life flight me to the um to the trauma hospital in Orlando. Mm. How many times were you stabbed? Do you know? Um, real stabs, like four good ones. Um, well, not that they were good, but you know, right. four serious ones. Yeah. And then I had cuts all over me. I had like, I don't know, probably five places that they had to put stitches. Um, so I had little cuts all over me, including one across my face. But the really great thing about that is I'm sure he thought he cut me and I would have to see his scar for, yeah. for every day for my life. No scar. No scar. I know you no can't. Scar. It's it, yeah. I wouldn't have known. Yeah. No like, scar. Wow. Okay. So you were in the hospital for how long after all of this? I was only in the hospital for like eight days, I think. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And then in the hospital, were you already thinking about getting back into the ring? Absolutely. The first um, the first thing I really said once I got back to myself and, and clear thoughts, um, I want to get back into the ring and that God left me here for a reason. Mm-hmm. And that reason is to um, help other people not go through what I had been through for 20 years. And so that's why, you know, I share my story and I know people, I get people ask me all the time, why do you keep sharing your story? It, it, it Maybe it's hard or why are you doing it? I'm like, well, I might not can help me 100% because I'm still trying to get better, but maybe I can help somebody else. And then, and then I think I've done what God left me here for. Mm -hmm. So how long was it before you did get back into the ring? Cause I know a big thing was for you was like, I need to win my 50th fight. Yeah. So I was actually scheduled to get back in the ring March, which I had been shot and stabbed November 23rd. I was going to fight in March, early March and um, sparring, getting ready for the for the fight. I I got a broken rib, but it was the rib that got broken was the rib that he had shot me through. So okay. the rib was probably already cracked or maybe it was even broken. I don't know uh, before I got hit there. Mm. So I didn't get the fight until June. So like six, seven months after being shot and stabbed, I was in the ring. And then that's a whole nother story too, because like you broke your hand when you're in this, the the 50th fight, this was like, you could feel the intensity of this fight, like just watching it. I'm like, Oh my God. So then you end up breaking your hand, but you felt like you could still fight this woman. They call the fight and you're just like, no, you're begging, you're pleading. Don't end the fight, please, 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 please. And I'm like, Oh my God, I wanted to cry for you. I'm like, this woman has been through everything. Like just Oh my God, she almost lost her life. And then you have this fight and you're trained to get back into the ring. You do. And then you break your hand and then they're just going to freaking call it. And that devastated you. But you said something so profound. And that was, I realized I won my 50th fight when I got up off that floor after being shot and stabbed. And I lived and I was like, Wow. Yeah. And in some ways it's still hard. I still would wish I could have gotten that 50th win in the ring, but it really my 50th win came against Jim. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, so there, I had to find some good for me in, in that happening. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I was 50 seconds from my 50th win in the boxing ring. My hand had been broken for like four rounds already. And the doctor stops the fight. And, and he tells me, he said, Christy, remember I was part of the ringside position conference when you spoke and you said, we have to protect fighters from themselves. We, as the ringside positions, we, as the coaches, we, as the, the team around the fighter. And I was like, and not very kind. I used some pretty bad words, but I wasn't talking about me. You know, right. I'm like, and then, and, and I, I told him, I'm like, dude, I've been shot. I've been stabbed. All this stuff has happened to me and you're going to stop a fight because I broke my hand. Right. No, it, it makes no sense. So, but they're really, you know, even worse. Uh, I, I go to surgery to have my hand fixed and have a stroke. Right. So That's what I was going to get to next. Like, like. Oh. Yeah. So there were six months, seven months after being shot and stabbed. Uh, now I have a stroke and, and I just said to God, I'm like, you know, I know that the Bible says you don't put more on a person than they can handle, but God, I'm not as strong as you think I am. Mm. You know, this is, this is too much. Um, but yeah, I had the stroke. I, I woke, well, I came to, I couldn't walk. I couldn't talk. I couldn't see. Uh, well, I mean, I, I see double still. Um, yeah, but again, I was blessed because now I'm, I'm back, you know, up on taking care of myself on my feet. Um, the only, the only lingering effect is really my vision. And then when I get tired, you know, I clearly, I, you know, it's definitely slur my words and just get tired. Yeah. My brain gets tired. How old are you? If you don't mind me asking 54, 54. Oh my gosh. And you've been through a lot in 54 years on this planet. Um, okay. So now comes the time where you had to, you fight in, in the trial and, um, was it hard for you to face him or were you just like, so ready to bring justice? Uh, you know, it was, um, the, the, the worst part, the worst time seeing him was the first time when he tried to get uh, a bond, he tried to get bond out. And so that was just, I think that might've been like in December or January after being shot in, in November. So that was the the hardest time, I think. By the time the trial came, which was like you know a year later, um, I was ready. You know, a year later, you had to wait a year until like you found out what what his um, I guess punishment would be. It was definitely coming up on a year. Um, it's crazy. Like, like yeah, I think it was a year. Yeah, those. Right, I mean, right almost a year. Ten ten months to a year. Can't remember. Yeah. But that's a long time. And that whole time he was in, he was in jail. Oh, yeah. 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 Because yeah. he actually he he was denied bond and okay. he was denied bond because of his own words. He actually admitted to the judge that he had stalked me. Uh, I really believe that had he not said he stalked me, that he maybe would have been able to get out. Stopped you from what? Stalked. Stalked me. OK. You know, oh, stalked. Me. Yes. Gotcha. OK. Um, you, your mom has an interesting role in all of this where she felt like, um, you were the reason why all of this happened and not him. She put a lot of blame on, on you. Um, where does your relationship stand with her? Well, um, my mother put a lot of the blame on Sherry, which wasn't fair. Uh, okay. Of course, it was so it was Sherry and me, but but a lot of the blame was on Sherry. 
Um, my relationship with my mother, it, it's, um, you know, it's, it's better. She, she's, um, it's better. My mother's very sick. She's actually in the hospital right now. Mm. And, um, she, she has cancer. She's on dialysis. Um, she, she's very sick. So sorry to hear that. I'm still, yeah, I would like to have, um, maybe it's getting closer to the, the closure with her. Like, um, she's more, I think she's more accepting of who I am than, than she has ever been. Um, it's a tough relationship. Yeah. That's hard because I can see so much pain. Like you go through all of this first, you know, she's kind of in denial about your relationship. He's calling her through all of this. She's believing him. And then, you know, when you're in the hospital, um, you know, Sherry came or whatever. And she's like, you know, um, was it going to come if she was there? And, um, I know it took you guys a, a long time to repair that relationship, but I'm like, as, as a mother and then seeing you and so, you know, like going through all of this and then now having your mom kind of like turn against you. I just thought that was, that had to be, you know, a whole other battle that you, um, had to fight, um, with, with Jim, he doesn't show any remorse. Have you watched the documentary? I did watch it. And, um, you know, me being, me being, I, I'm not that one that sees the glass half full. I'm always the half empty person. Okay. But in this situation, I was like, he's gonna, he's gonna have some remorse. He's gonna, he's gonna be sorry that he tried to kill me. But as I sat and watched the documentary and listened to him, I'm like, nothing. I mean, it, it's still all about him. Right. It's Narcissist. About, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, and just, and then he's like, she wouldn't be where she is without me. I made her and I'm like, oh my God. So he's, um, he'll get out when he's 92. Yeah apparently. And then you're like, just because of the asshole he is, he will live to 92 and get out yeah. there. But, but your dad said something like if he, he makes it to that, you know, that age or whatever, he'll take care of it or something, yeah. you know, along, along those lines. He did. He, he, and my, my, uh, my baby brother who has now passed, um, you know, they were on the hunt for him. Jim, Jim went on the run for a week. Um, from the cops after he shot me and, and my brother and my dad were definitely trying to find him. And, and the truth is, I'm so glad they didn't find him because, you know, I don't know what they would have done to him. Right. Um, but I, I wouldn't want that on me or on them. Right. If they just did kill him or, or whatever, you know, they would do to him. So, so I'm glad that they didn't find him then. And, um, yeah, I don't think Jim will live to be. Hopefully, he doesn't live to be ninety-two, and so we don't have to cross the bridge. How old is he now? He is. He was born in forty-three. So what are we? Oh God, you're going to ask me. So in December he'll be um, seventy-nine, right? Seventy-nine. Okay, yeah. And your dad is a couple years younger than him. My dad is seventy-seven. Okay. Oh wow. So and that had to be interesting that your husband was older than your dad. <laughs> yeah, and I think that in my mind, you know, it shows how much that my mother especially maybe just my family as a whole yeah. um 
they wanted me to be with a man. You know, mm. they didn't matter. Um, right. As long as it's a man. Mm. Do you still have PTSD from that night? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I try to put everything in, in its own box and then not visit those boxes too often, but there's still crazy stuff that happens and you're like, Oh shit. You know, you're like right back there. Um, better, you know, I, I guess as time goes by, it gets further away. Um, but then like when you least expect it, boom, something, mm. something so simple. What yeah. happened? Well, recently, um, we were in the kitchen, Lisa, like turned and she had a knife in her hand. And it was like, in no way was she, she just turned, she had a knife in her hand. That was it. But for that split second, I mean, I was like, she, and, and, and she immediately was like, oh my God, the look on your face. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, I'm sorry too, because I mean, I, I didn't feel like she was coming at me with the right. knife. It just for whatever reason. It and I, I think that's, it was just a trigger. And, and, and that's why. PTSD is hard for people to understand or it's, and it's hard for people to explain. Mm-hmm. Do you see a therapist? Um, I, I had a great therapist while I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I've seen therapists in different places. I've been uh, at this particular time. I really don't accept. I still have my relationship. I'm in Texas now. Okay. Um, I still every now and then call my my uh, counselor from Charlotte and I'm like, you got to talk to me. Just, yeah. Just talk to me. Right. You know, 30 minutes. And she's like, she's great. She's great. We we have a really great relationship. So. Yeah. Is there like a time of year or close to when that all happened that you feel it the most or is it just sporadic? I think it's sporadic, but how crazy is this? So um, the week of November 23rd, um, I was obviously shot and stabbed on November 23rd. Uh, Lisa and I got married on November 25th. My brother passed on November 28th, not the same year, but this, you know, it's all the same week. And Lisa's mother had passed um, the year before Jim shot me on that same week. So it's like, that's no, a that crazy a hard week. One. Yeah. And then like right in the middle, we got married. I'm like, oh, I don't know if that was a good idea, but so, yeah. You know, when you're going through it with so much darkness, you need to see the light and, you know, the relationship. So you were with Sherry. This is the girl you met in high school. You guys broke it off. Um, and they can watch the documentary to like, see why you're with Lisa now. Um, what, what makes you happy? Like what brings you joy right now in your life? You know what? Um, I I still love boxing clearly, but what really makes me happy is like this, um, Saturday. No, Friday. Friday night, I'm going to actually be speaking in New Bern, Ohio at a domestic violence event. Mm -hmm. And so not the part of sharing my story, but afterwards, when people come and talk to me and say, listening to you has helped me. Like um, one time I was talking in Raleigh, North Carolina, and a grandmother came to me and she said, my granddaughter's in a bad situation. And basically she's been, she's telling me, the grandmother's telling me I've been not trying to make something happen quickly. You know, I've been not on it. Like I should. Right. Um, But now after listening to you talk, I realize today is the day I have to make the difference because we don't know what that day is going to be that they snap. 
Like, absolutely. And so it's, it's those things, you know, like, so Friday we're in Ohio Monday morning, I'm doing a breakfast in Daytona beach, Florida, but then this is really going to be nerve wracking, crazy good. Um, next Friday, I'm in Beckley, West Virginia, which is, you know, 25, 30 minutes from my hometown. And I'm assuming that most of the people are, that are, will be there will be people I know. Um, so, you know, I'm excited. Are you speaking excited there? Yeah. Are you speaking there? Yes. So all those places I'll be speaking and sharing my story and talking about domestic violence. And then in November, a really cool thing we're doing in Chicago with Wings Um it's, it's going to be a great event. We're going to sit down and, and a local reporter, TV reporters is going to, we're going to do a, a Q and a kind of thing and, and go through the career, go through the domestic violence, you know, kind of what we're doing yeah. and just, and just get people involved with the conversation um, and hopefully raise a lot of money for, for wings while we're up there. That's amazing. And you're, you could tell, like you're excited about it. You can see in oh. your face, like this is such um, a passion of yours and you found like your purpose Right. Uh, um, so that's exciting. So this is, so do you have any affiliation with boxing anymore or is speaking kind of your career now? I am, uh, I still promote fights. So okay. we have a promotion November 5th in Myrtle beach, South Carolina. Um, so yeah, that's what that's work. We're working up to that right now. I just recently helped, um, a major promoter for a showbox show in Atlantic city. So I still am trying to, uh, to find my niche in boxing, but my number one passion now is helping with domestic violence awareness. And where can, if people want to donate to wings, where can they do that? Oh, that they, they follow, follow Christy Mart promotions, uh, web, my website, Christy Mart promotions.com. And, and as wings right now, they're working on the, um, the sponsorship packages, the, all the, um, the links for donations. Okay. Um, it'll show up on my website. Okay. And we I will I, also, I have Christie's champs, which, uh, we have a Facebook page, Instagram, mainly I'm, I, I look at the Facebook page. I'm old, so I'm still on the Facebook thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I have people that are kind of helping me a little bit with some of it, but it's, it's hard. I, I try to handle everything, answer everybody's questions, emails myself. Yeah, um, that's a lot. But sometimes it gets to be a little much. Yeah, Chris. And I'll leave all this um, in the show notes if people want to find your information, donate, all of that. Has your has your story gained popularity after um, your Netflix special? For sure. I mean, for sure. And then we just actually came out with the book, uh, uh. Fighting for Survival. And you can get that on my website or Amazon. Uh, Ron Borges, who is also a boxing hall of famer, uh, wrote the book. And and there's a little more in the book than than in the Netflix documentary. Um, we shared a little more. So oh, cool. How were you approached to do the documentary? Um, you know, it's the craziest thing. I got a call from uh, one of the Wayan brothers. No and, way. And <laughs> yeah, I care. Um, and I'm like thinking it's a joke, kind of. Yeah. And um, he said, you know, we would be interested into this documentary. But through my boxing career, I got all kinds of calls about reality shows and this and that. And none of it really ever materialized. So I kind of just put it on that back burner. Yeah, I'm in, but never thinking it was really going to happen. But, you know, it really happened. And and really, really worldwide, I get messages from all over the world about the documentary. And 
the ones that are the most like mean the most to me, they they're all very special. But when I get a message from a father that tells me how happy they are that they were able to watch the documentary with their daughter and that opened up the communication to talk about domestic violence and hey, don't ever let this happen to you if someone does touch you or if someone does treat you badly. Feel always come back and, and tell me, you know. So it, it yeah, it mean it means a lot to me that the fathers. I mean, you, you kind of expect it maybe from mothers. Yeah, but when you get these messages from fathers, it's it seems special to me. I bet, I bet. Um, what do you do? We will finish on this. Like, what do you do to? protect your well-being, mental health, health. Is there like any routine exercise, prayer, journaling, any of it? What do you do um, to just make sure you're of sound mind and to take care of yourself? Stay busy. Mm. Because the worst thing for me is um, quiet time. Like right now it's quiet in this house because I'm talking to you when I'm, when I'm just here, working, I'll leave the TV on. I'll have, there has to be noise. Like I just can't, I just can't be in quiet because why is that always my, it never fails. My mind some way goes back to the, the the crazy shitty stuff that Jim Martin said to me. Every time I'm going to say eight out of 10 times. Wow. Quiet's bad for me. Mm. Quiet's bad for me. Or I question, I question me. You know, maybe I'm not, you know, I'm just not really good enough. Like I'm doing all these speaking things and I'm already this morning, not just this morning, but this morning I'm writing. I'm, I'm like, I'm not good enough to do this. I'm not good enough to do this. Oh yeah. You are. Look at you. I am good enough. You are good enough. You, good yeah, enough. yeah, for sure. Um, maybe, I don't know. I, it's probably not my place to suggest this, but maybe just therapy again and just working, working on that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is good. I mean, I, I knew, do need to find a therapist that's here where I can sit down. Um, but like Tiffany's her name from Charlotte, she spoiled me because yeah. we had such a great relationship. I mean, sometimes I would, I would be talking to her and get a little bit sideways and tell her I'm leaving. I'm done. I'm never coming back to see you <laughs> and get up and walk out. And, yeah. Cause it's painful. Time I get to the car. I'm laughing. I know I'm going to be back. And, and the same thing, sometimes she would just say, you know what, Chrissy, it's time for you to go. Okay. Yeah. But we, you know, we have true love. I think we have true love for each other. Probably like a relationship is probably better, stronger than a counselor and, and, a, and a client. Right. Maybe should be. I don't know. At she's least really- on my side, she's, she might be more professional. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think she knows she's stuck with me for life. Oh my gosh. And you, you have such a fighter mentality. You're not going to let anybody tell you, no, you're not going to let anybody stop you. Where do you think that comes from? Um, you know, I think I, and I really just in the last little bit realized this, I think my athleticism came from my dad, but the fighter came from my mother. Interesting. Um, Did she have to fight? I don't think so ever. Okay. Ever. Do you feel I like mean, you had to fight her um, for her love or attention or? Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest problem. You know, like I wanted I wanted her attention. But at the same time, as a teenager, I was always hiding. You know, you're always hiding who you really are. So 
I didn't do the things with my mother that I should have. I didn't go shopping with her. I didn't, um, you know, I just didn't do the things that, that mothers and daughters do. I was always, always hiding, always trying to get away to see Sherry or, or I drank a lot in high school. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was doing things I should have been doing. But, you know, you're going, it, you you went to the, the, for the route that would numb the pain. Like you didn't have answers, you know? So, and that's what people do often. It's like, okay, you know, you feel like you can let loose and be yourself when you have, you know, alcohol or drugs or, you know, whatever it is um, in your system. I just want to say thank you so much for being here today and just being so honest and sharing your story. I know it's probably not easy to relive this over and over and over again. And you're doing it because you want to help people and um, your message is profound. Your story is inspiring and um, I'm inspired by you. And I just want to, I want to thank you so much. Thank you. I I think that, um, you know, my story, my life, my, my will can show everybody because I am the underdog, you know, from such a small town in Southern West Virginia, I did make it to the, to the top of the boxing world. And I, I got up off the floor that night uh, and, and going to continue to, to help change lives and hopefully save lives. Um, so if, if I can do it, I mean, anybody can. For sure. About me. Oh, there's tons of things special about you. You just don't see them. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, you guys. Um, if you, if you love this episode, if you can, if you think it could help anybody, maybe there's somebody that follows you who is dealing with domestic abuse and they just haven't shared it with you. You could share it to your social media. You can really, really help somebody by um, getting, this story out and in hopes to help other people, all you have to do is take a screenshot of the show, share it to your Instagram, share it to Facebook, include the links on Apple and Spotify, YouTube, whatever it is to get um, the word out and how we can save people who are going through a similar situation that um, Christy did. And if you're interested in following her, I'll leave all of that information in the show notes. And um, just thanks again, Christy, for being here. Thank you. And anybody that wants to reach out to Christy's champs through Facebook or Instagram, um, either I or one of my administrators, we do see those messages and um, we'll do anything and everything we can to help. Appreciate that. Okay. You guys, thanks for listening. And remember you got this. You guys, wasn't that amazing? Wasn't her story just super inspiring? I was blown away when I got to speak with her. So I hope you take that inspiration, what you've learned today from her story from domestic abuse and do your best to try to help somebody else. Remember, there are four ways to do that. You can share this episode to your story, to your post. You can leave a review on Apple or Spotify. You can make a purchase for Moosley cereal and 15% will be donated to Christy and you also get 15% off of your order or you can go directly to Christy's Champs and make a donation there. Remember all of that information is in the show notes.